You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We knew coming into the season that teams like the Nets and the 76ers were eyeballing one thing, a championship. What we could never have anticipated as we come closer to the trade deadline is that in order to accomplish that goal, those two teams, those two competitors might be discussing a superstar trade. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. It's a Friday edition of Spain and Fitz, Sarah. I am pumped, but I'm shocked because we're sitting here and I'm looking at the standings and I'm thinking maybe I'm missing something. I got the 76ers right now sitting in the three seed in the east. I got the Nets sitting at the six seed, but only a couple of games back. We've got this east where everybody's clumped together and I'm thinking – It'll work itself out. But now, all of a sudden, according to reports, it looks like there's a possibility that the 76ers, instead of waiting till the offseason, are going to try right now to work out a deal to get James Harden before the February 10th trade deadline. In fact, increasing in their minds their opportunity to win a championship. I'm stunned to see two teams competing having these types of conversations. Yeah, and I actually like it for both of them. Here's the thing. We've heard, even though James Harden has sort of denied it, that he's unhappy. He doesn't really like Steve Nash's rotations. He doesn't like the taxes in New York. He's frustrated with Kyrie's not being available. He's frustrated with the weight on his shoulders with KD out. And we're hearing that James Harden is pretty disgruntled. He did not sign the contract that the Nets offered up, and they expect to lose him in the offseason, most likely. So maybe... They'd rather get rid of him now and get something in return than lose him altogether for nothing. Now you'd say, but don't they want to take one last shot at it as the big three? And there is a part of me that says, your 13-3 and I think is the number when you've got Kyrie, KD, and Harden all together. Is it worth it to blow this up before you ever give it a real shot? And I don't know, the way you've seen Harden, who's allegedly suffering from a hamstring injury, which some people are doubting is really keeping him from playing, and who looked like such garbage in that last game as they continued this six-game skid. You wonder if he's going to put enough in to make it worth keeping him around or if you're better off with a fresh start. And we know this would be great for the Sixers because they're getting nothing from Simmons. And even though they likely would have to give back, you know, Tobias Harris, they would probably, most people would say, uh, in terms of making the money work and making it worth for the Nets, you'd probably have to give up more than that. Um it might be worth it for them, Fitz, because you're adding you're adding Harden back to Daryl Morey. You've got a core of, you know, Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, Tybal, Green. I mean, Green might end up going, uh, but, man, if I'm the Sixers and I saw what happened last year where all of our hopes and dreams of the regular season just didn't work out in the playoffs, I'm trying to go for it. Yeah, so that's what's interesting. Daryl Morey, I think, is the key to this entire conversation to me because – I always love it when somebody's thinking about acquiring or letting go of a player that they know incredibly well. Daryl Morey knows everything there is to know at this point about all things Harden, right? Like nothing's going to surprise him at this point. So if he's deciding that he wants James Harden on this team, he knows exactly who he's getting uh, behind the scenes. He knows exactly who he's getting on the floor. It is still, though, a stunning two sides of it that would be stunning to me. Number one. We would have to admit the epic fail that the Nets had become through all of this. Like, to your point, 13-3 and when they're all on the court together, they're never on the court together. This is not at all what any of us banked in uh, or or thought we were going to get when these guys came together. Above and beyond championships one, it's just the fact that they haven't been able to mesh at all with any meaningful time. So that's fail number one. 
But the other portion of this that is a little stunning to me is to think that the, the Sixers are looking around, and it speaks to what we've been asking every expert. They're looking around saying, as good as we are right now, and as well as things are going, and as great as Joel Embiid has been throughout this course of the season, we don't have enough. And if they're willing to give up a bunch of pieces to get Harden, that tells you that they believe they're good enough to be relevant in the regular season and not to win a championship, and that's a fail after all of these years in Philly. Maybe, maybe, or they think we could be even better. Because look at the East right now. If the Nets don't improve, if the Nets don't figure it out, you don't have that one dominant, out-of-control team. The Heat look really good, and when the Heat are healthy, they are very dangerous. I love my Bulls squad, but my Bulls squad is not uh, of the of the level that, that you, you know, the Nets, when they've got their big three and everybody's clicking, which is very rarely. I think it looks open with the Bucks coming off a win. It's so hard to repeat. The Cavs are surprising sitting in there at the five spot. It is a packed East where anybody can get it. And I think the Sixers don't have to believe we can't win, but they can just think we're going to get better. And we know that they're interested in picking up Harden in the offseason anyway. So they have this incredible thing where surprisingly, despite the the sort of albatross that is Ben Simmons, they're they're position on it, which Moray has made very clear, which is we're not in a rush. We're happy to sit on him until we can get the best assets possible, which we thought would be the offseason. And now appears if the Nets have grown fatigued with Harden and they don't think this is going to work, it could be now instead. And that extra time Harden on this on this Sixers team, while also weakening an opponent in the Nets, that would be great yeah, for the Sixers. You're right about the weakening, too. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, you're right about everything when it comes to the weakening of the Nets through this process. And I do think, as was pointed out on the Low Post podcast, uh, make sure you get that wherever you get your uh, podcast. Uh, this there is some good to the offensive fit here when you talk about Embiid being able to just worry about being a shooter or a playmaker and uh, letting or sorry yes you let Embiid do that Harden doesn't have that same pressure on him to do anything other than exactly what he has to do we don't have yeah. to merge any styles together to make this work and Daryl Morey would know better than most I just don't think the process <laughs> is uh -huh. broken right now for the Sixers like that's I, I guess for me I, I hear what you're saying that maybe well, this why makes would it have better. to be uh, well because it to me if you're going to leverage a bunch of things you're you're changing what's in the basket right now what's in the right. baskets working so just the risk yeah. the risk of adding Harden I agree with you I mean we've certainly see Harden he's not an MVP type anymore but he's an all-star and while his numbers have dropped a lot a lot of that has to do with him not being happy in the system he's in, the back and forth changing styles of when Irving is there and when he's out. I think you could absolutely see him regain a lot of his ability if he is put in a different place. On the other hand, you know, if you think about the Nets side of this and if they are truly willing to give up Harden right now, they gave up Karis LeVert, Torian Prince, Jarrett Allen, and seven years of draft assets. Oh, my God. Right? Three first-round picks, four first-round pick swaps uh, to get Harden from the Rockets. Because the Rockets knew. Like, we, we got to get a whole bunch if we're just giving him up. And you're going to end up in this short of a time just moving him for Ben Simmons and some role players. So they're going to have to get more than Ben Simmons plus, plus whatever makes the money work. That's why I'm saying they're going to need to get probably – you know, like a like a like a Harris and a Green, um, but man, I mean, this if the Nets give up and implode before even the end of this season, what a 
colossal failure fits. Well, and that seems to be one of the stories of the NBA this year. Uh, you know, we've got the ABC game tomorrow that you can hear on ESPN Radio. Knicks at Lakers. Uh, they're going to try both the Knicks and Lakers are going to try and get in the zone. Get in the zone brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone. AutoZone. But let's face it. Neither of these teams are particularly good right now. So, like, they're, they're okay. Like, we've got a battle of the okays, and that's what it feels like. The Nets are sort of stuck. Maybe they're stuck in okay. I guess I presume that the Nets thought that they would get everything worked out, just like I keep presuming the Lakers will get it worked out, just like so many people thought the Knicks would get it worked out. Maybe this is the season where nobody figures anything out, Sarah. <laughs> right, just the Bulls. <laughs> yeah, just the Bulls. That's a fair point. Just the Bulls. The Bulls have it all figured. You know what? My Bulls, man. <laughs> I need the Bulls to win the NBA championship this year because, okay. frankly, sure. that would make Sarah happy. But if the Memphis <laughs> Grizzlies could have a great year, too, uh, sneak peek, we're going to talk to Grizzlies for Jaron Jackson at 8 o'clock Eastern. You don't want to miss that. So we'll keep the NBA talk coming. But coming up, a Super Bowl winning coach is off the unemployment line. We'll tell you who it is and what it means next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. The Jags have a head coach. Rejoice, Jacksonville. You got your guy, whatever that means. That guy is Doug Peterson. Now, I say whatever that means because I want to constantly remind everybody we have no idea if these hires are going to work out, and 99% of the time, eventually, they all get fired anyway. But today, you can have some hope, and I think uh, there has been a message, Sarah. It feels like of a lot of people that feel like Doug Peterson could have impact in Jacksonville, where we're only a few months removed from Trevor Lawrence being the conversation of being the answer for all things that ailed everything in Jacksonville. So if you believe that, you get a coach that managed to get the best out of Carson Wentz, that has a Super Bowl win, that went to the playoffs three in his five, three of the five years he was the head coach there, coming into a situation where he knows offense, he knows quarterbacks. Maybe this is the great ray of hope that the Jags needed. Could be, and it's certainly a good omen for it to happen on the four-year anniversary of Peterson leading the Eagles to a Super Bowl. There's a lot of good vibes around Peterson and what he did in Philly floating around the internet today. A lot of his former players posting videos and celebrations from back then. That's a good feeling when your coach has had proven success, but... It's also a little bit weird, the timing of all this. If you recall the end of Peterson's tenure, there was some of that conversation around tanking. Mm. And here we are uh, in the midst of a, of a pretty uh, interesting time for the NFL when it comes to conversations of incentivized losing. Also worth noting that uh, this is the Jags. So regardless of the success someone had somewhere else, they need to do it again in Jacksonville to prove that they can overcome the stench of that team. This, this, this squad is not very old. But they have had nine head coaches since their first season in 95. I want you to know that Urban Meyer is in the top five in wins. Mm. I want you to know that Urban Meyer, who did not complete the season, who oversaw the team for two wins, is in the top five of wins in Jaguars history. Uh, I want you to remember, and we talked about this the other night, that the GM, Trent Balky has fired four coaches in his last four seasons as a GM. Which means, as Kevin Clark pointed out on Twitter, he has employed more coaches in four seasons with the Jaguars than the Steelers have since the merger. That is insane. Okay, that... that... I want you to remember all of that 
as we take into account whether Doug Peterson has the powers that are strong enough to overcome the stench of the Jags. I, I don't even know how to process that. Like, And, and you mentioned the stench of the Jags, Spain and Fitz there, Spain, Jason Fitz. Well, that was a conversation this morning on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, which you can hear every morning on ESPN Radio, when Dan Graziano, ESPN NFL insider, joined him and said this. They are a, a terrible organization. I mean, they've lost 119 <laughs> games in the 10 years that, that Shad Khan has owned the team. That's a lot more than any other team has lost in that time. A lot of the candidates, Doug Peterson included, were in there for these interviews asking as many questions of the team as the team was asking of them, saying, what's going on here? Why does this organization run this way? And is there, any, is there worth having a conversation about changing that, changing some things about the way decisions are made here, the way the front office operates? I think we're going to see more news come out on the Jaguars in the next couple of days involving Oof. front office positions. They're talking to Rick Spielman, who used to be the Vikings GM, about a front office position mm. there. I mean, mm. the, none of this feels good when you hear all of that in context. And it's what I've said to you, and we've talked about repeatedly, like sometimes as fans you just got to realize your owner's not good at identifying talent. Now, hopefully this breaks that cycle uh, but if you're telling me that there's also this weird moment where Trent Balky's around, but maybe Zimmer, like it just feels very convoluted as we try and figure out what the front office structure is going to look like. And at some point, I believe that great uh, organizations have identity. And right now, the Jags have none. First of all, I like it when you pronounce it Balky because it reminds me of Perfect Strangers. Yeah, that's Balky all I. I knew the minute I did of, it. That's all I think of about. Instead of Balky, no, but it really brought me joy, and I appreciate that. Now I, I do that every time, and I think it's because like I was such a Bal- like such a Perfect yes. Strangers fan. Oh, like, oh he's, huge. Yeah, yeah, big. Thank you. Um, it's fine. I still always say um, Dabo. Or is it Dabo? I never remember which one it is. I always say the wrong one. Um, Bart Scott was on Barton Hahn and tried to add some, you know, positivity to this moment. You know what he, you know what he does get when he walk in there is instant credibility, something that Urban Meyer didn't have and something that he continued to to whittle away even what the credibility that he did have by some of his actions even before the season started. When you think about the hiring of the strength coach, you think about, you know, losing um, practices and, and being fined for, like, the, the practice um, violations. But you talk about the fact that he's going to have a guy that has been a coach before that's going to have instant credibility that knows how to coach men and not deal with college guys and a guy that has a plan. I mean, yeah, I completely agree, at least on that point. Like this, I, I I think, and a lot of people think Byron Leftwich was the man for the job. If you were making a decision on trying to pick up the pieces of the disaster that was last season in Urban Meyer, then going with a guy who's won a Super Bowl, who walks in, who has been the head man for an NFL team, and knows all of the, not just X's and O's of football, but how to run a team and be that go-between between front office and who could be very difficult to deal with in, in someone like Balky and player, that's that's something he brings to the table that you probably need in a place that's been a, as much of a mess as the Jags. I, I feel like, Sarah, you were probably really good at the three-legged race thing in, in school, right? Like, <laughs> I'm just a mat. You're athletic. I was good at every race. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. You're, you're a long strider. You, you yes. got, you know, there, there's yeah, no doubt. what if I got, you know, one of that the, those stubby folks attached See, to me? Uh, like me. Didn't so you're, you're talking stride. about me here at 5'9 <laughs> and a half. Uh, so I, I feel like I say that because – what happened here was we have to remember a little bit like PE in like field day in elementary school. 
They walked out to the lawn, and maybe they were interested in Byron Leftwich, but for whatever reason, they screwed that up, and he decided he wasn't interested in them. So mm-hmm. knowing that you just lost the three-legged race competitor that would have helped you the most, now you got to look at around at, at who's left. And you're all you're saying when you're looking around is, I just don't want to get stuck with Fitz, right? So they didn't get stuck with somebody like me. They actually <laughs> get, I think, a viable solution in Doug Peterson, somebody that with his pedigree can command respect. And at the end of the day, I think to simplify what Bart was just saying, He's not what they had before. Like, he's just, he's not Urban Meyer. And by not being Urban Meyer, maybe that'll make them more successful. I, 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 I hate to make it that simple, but at least I feel like they didn't get left at the altar. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your car, home, motorcycle, commercial auto, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. Now, there's been another huge story in the NFL, and it's the daily development of the Commanders, the Washington football team, for anyone that doesn't know, now the Commanders. And as we continue to get more information from the congressional hearings going on, it is interesting to me, Sarah, because we've now learned that one of the, a couple of interesting things. One, according to documents that the league has given over to the congressional hearing, uh, they had asked for a written accounting of everything that had happened, and they've told us that it was only an oral accounting, which is interesting. But the mm-hmm. other, and I think very important part of this is it looks like their agreement to allow this to happen was contingent on Dan Snyder being the one that's able to say whether or not the information can or can't be released to the public. So whatever information they do have would have to be okayed by Dan Snyder to allow it to come out to the public. That's a failed concept. Yeah, the legal agreement between the NFL and the Washington football team slash commanders proves that the NFL never actually intended for the accountability or transparency of whatever went down with Dan Snyder and that team. They did not intend to release the documents because they made a deal that they literally called a common interest agreement, (laughs) spelling out their common legal interests. And the fact that they were not in the interest of having whatever was discovered go public. But they've been using the victimized women as meat shields by arguing that they asked for and were provided with the protection of not having this go public. They did not want that. And in fact, in Congress, we're wearing shirts that said, release the report. And yet the NFL continues to act as though they are protecting them. What they are actually doing is re-victimizing them by acting like there was this was anything other than a sham investigation. Well, we're going to get more information on all of this from one of our favorite ESPN investigative reporters next. We'll do all of this. Keep breaking it down on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on a Friday on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We've been talking about it a lot, and there's much more to get to as we analyze the conversations that came out of Congress in a roundtable discussion about about the Washington Commanders, the Washington football team, however you're talking about them these days. And we wanted to get more insight from someone who was actually there. So it's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. ESPN investigative reporter Tisha Thompson is with us. Tisha, thanks for the time. Hi, Sarah. Happy to be here. Yeah. Uh, so tell us first, first of all, we talked about this a bunch yesterday and some of the reasons why Congress would want to address this. But if you could quickly retouch on why this issue made it to Congress. I'm actually uh, really glad you brought it up because there was some information that got put out yesterday that was a little bit wrong. So um, 
Congress has several different reasons why it can look into the NFL. It used to be that the Congress had granted the NFL special tax status, but we reported today that the NFL actually uh, voluntarily gave up that tax status in 2015. So there were several members of Congress that brought that up yesterday, and we reported on it. With Instead, what they are saying they meant to say is that Congress still has – authority to investigate the NFL because of its antitrust exemption um, that gives it special negotiating rights when it does its media rights fees, which is where all the money comes from. And then this committee that's investigating is the committee that it's the oversight committee, the oversight and reform committee for the U.S. House of Representatives. And the committee members say they can investigate investigate anything they want. They have very broad authority, and they've decided that this is important enough that they want to look into it. What they're really doing, the Democrats say, what they're really trying to do is figure out using the Washington Washington football, forgive me, I'm calling it the Washington football team, the commanders, using the commanders organization (laughs) as a case study, that was a word that they said to me, um, for how they can look at legislation that would prevent the use of non-disclosure agreements and confidentiality agreements in the workplace when there's allegations of sexual assault and sexual harassment. Because all of the women who have come forward um, and were part of the hearing yesterday said to me that they had to sign confidentiality agreements when they started working for the football team. It's very common that I have found in my reporting with ESPN through the years. There's so many non-disclosure agreements and confidentiality agreements just as a matter of course. You join the team, you have to sign this, you leave the team, you have to sign this. A lot of companies do it. And that's what, the, that's what Congress says is the reason for why they're involved. Tisha, one of the things that is has been back and forth is the Congress asking for the Washington football team to submit papers. That seems to be taking a long time. What's the standard timeline for something like this? Well, Fitz, it depends on what, what they're asking for, and the numbers are huge. So today, the NFL, in a statement to ESPN, when we asked them about these new documents that came out, said that they've shared nearly 80,000 pages so far with Congress. But yesterday, the congressman who's sort of running this investigation uh, told me that there is as many as 650,000 emails, 650,000 emails and documents that are part of the investigation. So they've only received a small portion of those. Um, but small being 80,000. So I leave it to, you know, folks listening, what they think about that. You know, it's a lot of documents. It can take a long time. This is kind of normal. I wouldn't say this is unusual. Um, The roundtable is a little bit unusual because it wasn't a full-blown hearing in the sense that the women who presented their stories yesterday were not under oath Um, and they weren't technically testifying, and neither the NFL nor the team was given the um, opportunity to come and speak. It was just, that's why they call it a roundtable discussion. We're talking to Tisha Thompson of ESPN. Her piece is up on ESPN.com, and I want you to explain, when we talk about power structures, I, I sort of think of Congress and the U.S. government as being more powerful than the NFL when it comes to demanding and asking for evidence around crimes. And yet it sounds like potentially Dan Snyder may have the authority to prevent documents from being shared with Congress. Is that correct? Oh, Sarah, count on you to ask the really tough, complicated (laughs) questions. So 
Okay, how do I answer this? This is like an entire semester of poli-sci 101, <laughs> right? But so I think we have to be careful with the word criminal because so far none of this has been – none of what has been discussed with the Washington – oh, my gosh, I did it again. The former Washington <laughs> football team, the commanders, um, has, none of this has been adjudicated in criminal court. And so let's be careful with that word, okay? Right. I think there are people who have made allegations that they believe that the conduct that they witnessed or were, um, un, you know, part of, Subjected whether to, they wanted yes. to be or not, yeah. you know, uh, they would, there have been allegations that it's criminal, but it hasn't been in criminal court. Okay, so Congress has the ability to subpoena documents. We're not at that stage yet. And when I say subpoena documents, that's what happens in a court case where, you know, you're ordered to turn over these records. That's not happened. We haven't gotten to that stage yet. There is some conversation that if the NFL and the team doesn't turn over these documents, we could get to that stage. That's a big deal. And I say that because the probably one of the most famous examples of that recently has been the January 6th investigation um, mm. from what happened last year. And they have issued subpoenas and witnesses have refused to show up. And there is a conversation about is Congress going to bring contempt charges. So they do have those powers, but they don't use them all that often. Um, And they haven't gotten there yet with the NFL. The NFL is very popular. And for some of these members of Congress, you know, there's a calculus about, you know, NFL's got a lot of money. It's got a lot of popularity. Um, and it's been interesting to watch some of that take place while during the questioning yesterday. We're talking to ESPN reporter Tisha Thompson. I won't try and say investigative because Sarah says that better than I do. We ask you the tough Just questions because investigative yeah, yeah, reporter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, we let you answer the tough questions because uh, you make us sound smart. So uh, I need you to make me sound smart here because you mentioned earlier all of these documents, but this is also centered on. NDAs and the impact that that can have when they're going through all of these other documents are they limited to only searching for information about the non-disclosure agreements specifically no 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 they're using the non-disclosure agreements and I should say they being the Democrats the Republicans yesterday made it on the committee who were in um, attendance made it very clear that many of them if not all of them believe that this is something that should be in human rights I'm sorry, human rights, human resources departments or in the court system. The Democrats, however, are, are using the idea of legislation about these nondisclosure agreements for the reason for why they're holding these hearings, or you shouldn't call it a hearing, a roundtable discussion. Um, that being said, the Democrats are very – out about out in the open about it they want to see the report the women want to see the report that was put together by beth wilkinson and that they're trying to put pressure on the nfl to release the report that's actually become a hashtag on twitter release the report there was a congressman yesterday gerald Connolly from um virginia he's a democrat who was wearing a t-shirt under a suit during the roundtable discussion that said release the report folks want to know what was in that report Um, And today's letter that was sent to the NFL by the two uh, members of Congress that are running this investigation was essentially doubling down on the demand, release the report, and here's all the reasons why we think. And they included in this letter the first two documents that they've released from 
um, their investigation. Out of those 80,000 documents, they presented two letters that are important. One that shows that when the team initially uh, hired Wilkinson's firm to do the internal report, because remember the team initially makes the agreement, that they requested a written report. Well, that's a big deal because Goodell says that they don't have a written report, they only have an oral, or the report was given orally. Um, and that's unusual. That's not what they've done, for instance, with the Flategate or with the Ray Rice investigation. Um, and then, you know, I, it just, it just, it's, 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 it's fascinating to see what's going on here because then they issued a, uh, they presented a letter that the NFL had turned over that's called a common interest agreement, and it's dated from September of 2020, and it essentially says, and this is, quote, that the team in the NFL will have a joint legal strategy not to share the findings of the mm-hmm. investigation unless both the team and the NFL give explicit consent. And the committee investigating this, of course, then says, when they say the team, that means Daniel Snyder. Right. And so the question is, does Daniel Snyder, can he quash it? The NFL put out a statement today. I don't know if you guys have already told folks about it. They put out a statement that said that they, they can put out the information that they want to put out. Um, but it kind of conflicts with with what they've told um, Congress. So there's a lot of legalese, to put it lightly, that's going on right now with this investigation. Right. In the story that's on dot com, you said that uh, committee lawyers and staff has interpreted to probably mean that the NFL, um, because they withdrew from that common interest agreement in October around the time that Congress launched its investigation, that um, they would need to have the consent of the other party to access the documents, to release them and to make them. Exactly. Um, Yeah, it's it's very complicated. Uh, and yet yeah. not at all surprising, in my opinion, to learn that the NFL would uh, somehow immunize the very person that they're allegedly investigating. And that seems to be... You know, be... it's interesting, Sarah. <laughs> I, one of the, I, did write, I did write the spokesman for the NFL as soon as, you know, we saw these documents and we saw what the committee was saying and what it put out this morning pretty early today. And one of the questions I said to the NFL or I asked the NFL is, is this, unu- is this an unusual agreement or is this similar to the confidentiality agreements in the NDAs, fairly standard that the teams get into these kinds of common interest agreements, to use the official words. Um, the NFL didn't respond to that. They, they mm. sent their statement that's in our story. Um, but that's a big question I have yeah. as a reporter. Of course. You know, Absolutely. like, is this normal or is this yeah. unusual? Well, and, and we will get to the bottom of that, I'm sure, based on previous investigations the NFL has had and whether or not those things were made public because they didn't offer that up. Uh, Tisha, thank you so much for the insight. Everybody should go check out the story on .com. Thanks for the time. Thanks so much, Tisha. Of course, you guys. Thank you so much for having me. She's going to continue to cover this. We're going to continue to talk about it. It's Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. I want to talk about something else in Tisha's story and whether or not there's any precedent for demanding that this kind of information be made public. We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We could have kept Tisha Thompson on a lot longer there. She had so much insight into what's going on with the Washington Commanders, Daniel Snyder, and Congress. The House Oversight Committee for uh, the House, sorry, Committee for Oversight and Reform has been releasing documents requesting 
the quote-unquote written investigation from Wilkinson's law firm when she was hired to to investigate. Um, we had at one point been told that they were only presented orally, but there is paperwork now stating that the original request was for a written investigation. If that exists, that's what everybody wants to see, Fitz. They want to be able to know what exactly came out from the investigation into the Washington team that resulted in what amounts to a slap on the wrist for Dan Snyder and a $10 million fine and didn't really give the accountability required for what the awful things we've heard have, have come out of, of that of that team. And I think this leaves us with a number of questions. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We will talk to the attorney for many of these former employees of the commanders a little bit later in the show, but... To speak to Tisha's story, one thing she pointed out were there there are two um, representatives that re- that you know talked about these documents and talked about the requests that they have. And here's something that those two representatives stated in a letter to Goodell: the documents which were gathered and created as part of the Wilkinson investigation were stored on servers of a third-party vendor where they remain. Now, after the NFL's withdrawal from the agreement, each party claims that absent the other's consent, they cannot access the documents, let alone release them to the committee. By dissolving their common interest agreement and withholding consent, the parties may be attempting to create a legal limbo to stop the committee from obtaining these key investigation documents. Fitch, it's just the smartness of the evil that, that's so frustrating. But I wonder, can you publicly shame one side or both into saying, make sure we think it's the other one who's keeping us, right? Like, if you need the consent of both sides, if you both need to agree to release them, how much pressure has to be put on Dan Snyder and the Washington team or the NFL or both for them to feel like they have no choice but to release it? I, I, everything that you just described in the process that they've gone through just feels gross. So it's gross. Like, like, of course I, it is. I, and I get it. You know, it's one of those things where you, you look at it and say, okay, fine. They have smart legal people that uh, developed a loophole. But I look at it and say, man, that – it's got to be at some point. If you're Congress, you got to look at it and say, "I won't get loopholed." Like, right. there, there has to be some. The funny thing for me is, I have such a problem with that part of this. That even, even if you came in and said, "Hey, there's a very normal, natural way that this information is protected," I'm like, "Well, that sucks," but that's the way life goes. When you're telling me, "Okay, they came up with a really clever workaround that they would make sure that they could basically said, "No, it's on him. No, it's on him," and nobody would ever have to to be held accountable for any of it. Now it feels gross to me, and that's when I start rooting for Congress. Like I can't, I'm rooting for politicians. I can't believe I'm saying that. Like I'm rooting for Washington. Yeah, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, I think, unfortunately, what we know is that the power and the popularity of the NFL, to the point that Tisha Thompson even said, some of these folks in Congress are getting overwhelmed by their own fandom, and that makes it very difficult. And judge all you want, but there are plenty of us who watch the NFL in spite of ourselves. And I just wonder, in, in, in situations like this, is the information a little too sticky and difficult for the average fan to be as grossed out as those of us who are actually looking into it very carefully? Because I'll tell you, Fitz, how disgusting it is to think about the fact that the NFL has been told that there was a culture of sexual harassment and degradation at the Washington football team, that there were countless women who said on a daily basis they were dealing with some of the most disgusting things, whether there were actual physical overt touching or it was, um, you know, sending around photos and videos of their bodies that were supposed to be private, um, all these different things. And the NFL's response is to make a deal 
with the owner of the team before they even investigate that agrees that they have shared interests. Now, Fitz, I get it. They do have shared interests. It's the same reason we got only John Gruden's emails and somehow we were supposed to believe that 650,000 other texts and emails didn't reveal a single other person to have those bigoted views. But this proves that the NFL never actually intended to come down on Dan Snyder, never actually intended to hold him accountable. And that has to mean something, doesn't it? Like, we have to get fed up and disgusted enough at some point with the NFL pretending to care about women, with the NFL pretending to care about racism, and instead it requires lawsuits in both cases for us to even have these serious conversations about it. Yeah, but the real of it is Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, right or wrong, like this, let me be very loud and clear. Don't say, this, don't say right or wrong. We know it's wrong. Wrong, yeah. Let me be <laughs> la- I, I just have to be so clear. This is not my mindset. I'm only speaking for what I think many people feel. Many people would rather just decide in their heads that everybody that's saying anything negative about them is making it up if they have to make the decision between grasping with everything you just said or not watching their favorite team anymore. Like, that's where we just want to negotiate in our heads, well, it must not be happening because I don't want to give up my fandom of the NFL. Like, is that – and nobody wants to just stand up and say, yeah, it's terrible – but I'm going to keep watching my team. Everybody wants to justify it. So I just, I feel like there, as much as there should be a line in the sand, I don't know that one exists. I don't know that there's anything that will make diehard fans stop watching. Yeah, I get it. It's really hard. We've gone through this so many times of late in our culture. I stopped watching Louis C.K. I stopped rooting for Sean White. You know, I stopped listening to certain musicians. And it sucks. It's not fun to give up something that's joyful and especially sports, which is more tribal and more a part of identity, our identity than almost anything else, right? The way we describe ourselves as we, when we talk about our teams tells you how closely we align with that as being a part of who we are. But at some point, the product that we care about and want to spend our time and money on can be held accountable if we figure out how to hold their feet to the fire. It's just a matter of doing that. And I think so much of that is just continuing to have these conversations and letting everybody else in on just how abhorrent it is what they're trying to do. Um, we will continue to talk about this in the show, but we will move on right now to talk about the Memphis Grizzlies and one of their young superstars who's going to join us next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I don't hide my bias. I'm pro-Memphis. Uh, I get to hang out with the ESPN affiliate every every week there. I am absolutely a Grizzlies fan, and one of the reasons why Jaron Jackson Jr., who joins us now on the show. Jaron, you are having a great year. This team is having a great year. What's the feeling been like from the city of Memphis as you guys have gone on this incredible ride? The feeling has been crazy. Um, our fans have just been active all year. I mean, they we see a lot of more fans on the road right now. I think that's been really cool, especially when uh, we were winning. We had our 11-game win streak. That was, like, cool to just see everybody cheer for us on the road during that. Uh, but our home crowd got a lot more rocking. Like, it's turnt. You already know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just been great to ride the wave with everybody, honestly. We really it's, it's, can't take it for granted. 
You're a GQ superstar. That story just dropped a couple <laughs> hours ago. We're going to get to the studio in your house and your hip-hop stuff, your, your rapping and where you rank yourself among the, the league's best. But um, I want to touch on what you said about, about Memphis kind of getting up for the team because there's a lot of teams that have this resurgence and the fans go nuts. But it's a little bit different feeling, I think, with a team so young because it feels like the start of something that could last for a long time if, if people stick around. Is there a particular excitement for you and your teammates when the the superstars on the team are 22 years old of course like um i mean when you got a young team that's exciting we're just doing a we're really active like we're catching lives we're running we like to just run everybody we like to play Mm -hmm. fast so you know it's an exciting way to play and i think a lot of people you know gravitate to that just how we look out there we just look like we're having a lot of fun so I just, you know, I love that aspect. I mean, if I was a fan, I'd like us. So I, 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 I like that. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, it is a tough league. So we're dealing with guys every night, and we're we're not underestimated really anymore. We kind of – people know we're good. People know it's going to be a tough game. We never quit, and we know teams aren't going to quit against us. We're talking to Grizzlies for Jaron Jackson Jr. on Spain and Fitz there, Spain, Jason Fitz. You know, last year, obviously a tough year for you personally. The team had a, a better year than a lot of people expected, but you watched most of the season uh, sideline with an injury. What did you learn through that process about the team and yourself? Yeah, I just learned patience. Um, you know, my guys kept me, kept me cool. I was still around the team all the time, so it was good, but obviously I wanted to play, but, you know, that that came and went. I learned a lot. Just um, it just builds you. It just builds you. Um, people who have been injured know how it is. Like they just know, they just know how it is. The different vibe. It builds you up. It kind of makes you stronger um, after the fact. And I was stronger physically after the fact. So I was really in attack mode after that. Uh, I think it's it was a big step for me. Um, I, I would never say I'm glad to go through all that. I would never wish that on nobody. But that definitely is something. I'll take all the lessons. And, uh, yeah, I mean, after that springboard, we got to the playoffs. I played the end. I, I, the whole goal is to get back so I could play at some point. So I checked that off. And the fact that we made the playoffs was a bonus. It was great to get yeah. in the playoffs and play in the playoffs. And then, uh, you know, the next year was great. Jaron Jackson, Jr. of the Grizzlies with us here on Spain and Fitz. Grizzlies sitting at 36-18, and 18, third in the West. I heard an interview recently with Draymond Green talking about how Ja is sneaky, already one of the smartest players in the league. And I'm thinking about you, sideline with that injury, how much your defensive play has gotten even better this season. Your statistics are unbelievable. The numbers you're putting up are some of the best we've seen in a really long time. And I wonder how much you think being able to sit and watch the game and being forced to sit and watch instead of playing might have helped you read defenses better, read offenses, just see the game differently. I mean, if anything, it just made me more appreciative of being out there. So when I got out there, I really was just cool with doing whatever it took to win. Like, I was already cool with that, but then I got really more invested in it. And I was like, you know, if that means getting a stop, scoring, whatever it is, I don't care. Like, I'm going to do everything so hard at all times. I'm always going to be excited to be out there because I know what it's like when you're not out there. Um, But when you're standing out, when you're sitting out, you're watching a lot of film. Like, you're still watching games. Like, you're watching so much, so. Yeah, it slows down a little bit. You kind of see, like, a lot of repetitive things, and you see patterns. That's what you really got to look for. Uh, When you start to see those patterns, you can take it with you and kind of, like, 
just see, you know, it ha- it, it just flows like that. You, If you're doing anything a lot, you understand that. Like, in whatever form of work you're in, like, when you start to do it enough, you start to see the nuances, how you can do it better yourself. So that's really what I was looking at. Well, and that speaks to one of your other passions. We learned about this in the GQ article. Yeah, uh, for anyone that doesn't know, hip-hop artist extraordinaire at this point. What, over 100 tracks, 150 tracks you've done? And that's interesting to me, Jared, because, you know, I'm, I'm the resident music guy at ESPN with the country music background. But I think it's interesting because you're talking about watching a process. What's your musical process like when you're creating a track? Yeah, I mean, I've been rapping all, like, basically my whole life for fun. Uh, but then obviously recording's a little bit different. Recording and actually making a song and just like uh, you know, that 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 whole aspect is different. I started doing that like five years ago. Uh I just do it I did it for fun, like I just do it for fun. It's a way I can just say whatever's on my mind on a beat. Um I I like I listen to a lot of music, like I'm into a lot of different artists. So I kinda just that's where I get my inspiration from. Just I listen to music for working out and Obviously, you know, it's our job, so we work out so much. Like, I, I get inspired. I listen to so much more than the next person, I promise you. So, like, mm-hmm. what I make, I make a bunch of stuff that, like, I would like to listen to. That's just my whole goal. Like, I, I'm just making stuff that I like. Um, I really wasn't planning on ever putting it out until I realized that, man, like, I just made a bunch of stuff that I really, really do like, and I know that, um, you know, I would want to share with people. And I know it would just make them feel good, make them hype, whatever. Um, it'll just be a nice time. So uh, eventually everybody's going to hear it. We got I got like 150 <laughs> tracks. Yeah, I said that. I did say I had 150. I like it. It is around there. I like it. Because we've been going for like five years. And the studio is actually upstairs in my house. Like I bought all the equipment after I realized I really liked it. Like it's all upstairs. So awesome. I don't have to go to a studio. I don't have to do any of that my one of my really good friends is an engineer like i have a couple good friends that are really good engineers and uh they're producers and they produce all my stuff and uh it's fire like i really i I really think it's fire so eventually i'm I'm probably gonna put it out like all-star break and then i'm gonna put it out again in the summer so everybody will hear it then but i mean yeah like i'm i'm excited for everybody to hear it's gonna be dope well, uh, my guy Fitz was being very humble. He is, in fact, a Grammy-nominated artist and was an extremely successful performing musician uh, before he started slumming it with me here on ESPN. So you guys <laughs> you guys can talk about it once uh, once you get those Grammy nominations. I have to ask, and I know this is going to cause some beefs. They asked you in the story, too, but you got uh, two other NBA players that you can say those are the guys that have um, the best flow that you would want to listen to. Who you got? Um, Miles Bridges, for sure. Miles mm. is unreal. Um, I mean, everybody knows about Dame, you know, like Dame is yep. solidified. Like he's, he's got the features, he's got the resume. Like he damn near is about to retire from rap. He's been rapping so long. So, but, but Miles, you know, he's coming up right now. His next couple of projects are, are going to be good. He used to rap with Dwayne Bacon a lot. Um, and who else? Marvin Bagley's pretty good. He's been doing mm. his thing. Uh, there's people who, like, who don't release music, too. Who, like, if you beg them, they may show you on the back end, like, Brandon Ingram. And uh, I've heard some of his stuff. Jackson Hayes played me some of his stuff. I'm exposing that for sure. I have a song of Mo Bamba in, in my vault that I'll probably never play for anybody because Mo will kill me. <laughs> but, like, you know, that's my dog. 
and you know a bunch of people just be rapping on their own time like they just you know it's just it's a cool thing so uh i mean you never know what people are into miles is really breaking down he's kind of the d wade of rap music like how d wade was wearing all that crazy stuff and then like people start wearing crazy stuff like yeah. miles is saying whatever he wants like he's really turns up like he's kind of yeah right. like he's setting the train setting the path and i'm right there with him like i'm about to i'm gonna blow the door open and you're gonna see what i'm doing my okay. my mine is very very specific so man yeah. we can't wait for this it's been fun to watch this season i can't wait to hear the music i'll give you one solicited advice as we get you out of here jared it's never going to be ready to release. I'll tell you that every time I ever was part mm-hmm. of any project to put a record out, the night before we're sitting there saying, nah, it's not ready, it's not ready. At some point, you just got to let it fly. So that's the only advice I want to give you is just at some point, cut it loose and let the world hear it because you're never going to, it's, it's never going to be ready, man. We appreciate your time. Thanks for hanging us. Congrats on a kick-ass season. Keep crushing it this year. And uh, we wish nothing but the best for you and for the Grizzlies. Thanks, Jeremy. Can I say one more thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dozen Bane, MIP. John Moran, MVP, me, <laughs> defensive player. That's it. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. It's a big weekend in the NBA. The NBA is on ESPN Radio. Tune in tomorrow night. The Lakers host the Knicks, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 8 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. But why wait? That's until- a great preseason matchup. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, this feels like the weirdest season. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, I keep trying to figure out what we just talked to Jaron Jackson Jr. Now, I believe the Memphis Grizzlies are a good basketball team. And, hell, we saw last year the amount of times we sat there and said, you know what, the Suns are never going to be able to keep this going, and they did, right? So, like, maybe there is something to some of this youth movement that can be sustainable, but there are certainly some brands in the NBA coming into this year, Sarah, that we thought were going to be huge. Like, we all thought that at least this would be the time that the big three would come together, and all of a sudden the Nets would give us something incredible. And instead, now we're getting reports that there's a chance that Philly – Right now, and Daryl Morey are going to try to acquire James Harden, and there could be mutual interest in this as soon as the trade deadline in just a couple of days. So, like, everything we thought we knew coming into this NBA season seems weird, and now it feels like there's just this massive throw spaghetti against the wall to see what sticks approach to all of it. Fitz, I want to get to that, but I first just want to confirm really quickly. Did you break some news during that Jaron Jackson Jr. segment that your NBA team is, in fact, the Grizzlies? Because uh, we've always kind of wondered if you had a team, and it felt very convenient that when we had him on, it was the Grizzlies. I mean, I, I have been uh, hanging out on Mondays with the ESPN I'm aware. Radio you do a Memphis. lot of affiliate hits, though, and regardless but Memphis of is, it, it I'm, just... I'm, in, I'm in year three of Memphis. Like, uh-huh. I, I do this one every Monday, every week. Uh-huh. I have a lot of love for Memphis, so Who I want the, the Grizzlies to be the other ones that you do? Just throw some out there. I do Nashville, uh, Vegas. Hey, yep, that's come up a lot when you're yeah. talking about uh, I do the NFL Nashville. team. Yeah, but I, I don't, I, no, I have no love for the Titans, and I retired my Preds fandom. Like, sorry, Nashville, I love you, but I retired my Preds fandom. I'm all, I'm all Vegas at this point, but Vegas doesn't just, have I just, want to check in. I just want to check in. Uh, no, which I'm not the, stupid. I, so I work so with if you, I want you to be a I'm fan be a of my fan. teams, I just schedule you with an affiliate in Chicago? For, like, years. That's the way to do it. Oh, okay, uh, okay, no, okay, no, okay, I never okay. get – no, Chicago affiliates never, literally never calls me. I'm just saying, as I sit here uh, yeah. waiting, that yeah. never calls They don't really call me either, so we're no, good. That's fair. Uh, we're good. Uh, no, I, 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 look, the, the Bulls are good, and we work together. I'm all in on the Bulls being great. All right, Let's have a Bulls-Grizz – 
If maybe. we had a Bulls Grizz final, then you know Ooh. we could accomplish two things. Maybe I could get a bunch of swag. Grizz, you right, right, never right. sent me anything. And then number two, uh, also like I do love Milwaukee. We we buried that too. Uh, I I don't have a favorite NBA team. I just want to watch teams be good. And you and I would probably be able to go to the games if they were in Memphis and Chicago, right? Like you've got pole in one, and I could. You know, ask the radio station in Memphis to help yeah. me out with the other. Mm. So it's mm. like, look, that's my really own. where things start to fall apart. I, I have literally do. You, I, uh, uh, one of my uh, phoners, I am introduced every week with a little piece that says he's friends with Sarah Spain and you're not. <laughs> that's how they introduce me for a weekly phoner. That's that's actual. Fact. Oh man, Spain you don't get enough Fitz. credit, Fitz, for yeah. all of your many accomplishments, and you do have. Hookups. I've never benefited from any of them, but one yeah. day I will. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. <laughs> Let's get back to what you talked about, which is, um, first of all, we didn't mention really quickly, and and it, we are approaching the trade deadline next Thursday. We did see one deal that already went through. Los Angeles Clippers uh, getting Norman Powell and Robert Covington from the Blazers. Justice Winslow, Eric Bledsoe, Keon Johnson in a second-round pick are headed to the Blazers. This obviously makes sense. Damian Lillard's out for the foreseeable future. This is a sort of last place in the playing spot kind of thing that they, they, they recognize this is not the year for them. So they're grabbing some guys uh, whose contracts are going to run out, guys who are, are in for low money, and they're going to figure out what they want to do next. This is a great move for the Clippers. Um, you know, I think you probably maybe could have been a little more patient and found a first-round pick somewhere else from a team that was desperate if you're the Blazers. But uh, they obviously were ready to, to you know, sign off on this season and start looking ahead. That's the first big one, Fitz. What we're hearing about today, with Harden potentially going to the Sixers, is like we've sped up time because a lot of people were talking about this potentially happening in the offseason. We know that Daryl Morey's interested in getting back with Harden, and we know that they want to add another skill player and they want to figure out what to do with Ben Simmons. The Nets being without Harden is also not a surprise. We did not sign a contract offer from them, and he seems disgruntled, according to sources and reports. But the speeding up of this is fascinating, if not for only the idea that they waved the white flag on this big three without ever accomplishing anything with the amount of underwhelming, uh, just, just not just time spent together, but achievement there. This is This would be... A truly epic failure for the Nets. It would be one of the great all-time failures in team construction in all of sports. For the amount that we have hyped it and for the amount that we thought we would get out of it, to not even get like a meaningful run where you really thought that they were about to conquer the world. We didn't even get that. Like they were, they were a villain that never took off. Right. You know? And, and so for everybody that, that is in love with the warriors right now, for all of the, the good, good that, that comes from the fields of clay and, and Steph back, it was supposed to be this like good guys versus bad guys. We never got the other side of it. What, what's interesting to me though, like I'll go back to what you mentioned with the trade we already have. And the fact that the deadline's a few days away, it's sort of ingrained in my head that the deadline is all about buyers and sellers. And one of the reasons I guess I expected a quiet deadline is that you could make an argument that most teams right now don't know whether they're buyers or sellers. So to see two teams in the 76ers and the Nets that are on at least the precipice of contention, looking at it and identifying that they are willing to be uh, buyers or sellers in this market, I think is a little surprising. Like, I guess I just expected to not have much happen at the trade deadline because with it being as close as it is, you just let it, you see how everything plays out. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. You you either look at the East as wide open in the sense that it's super packed and there isn't a certain star team, and you say, let's ride with what we got and see if this is enough on both accounts, or you say, this is the window, and I don't want to wait and see what 
some team looks like next year when they're world beaters and we don't have a shot. And that goes for both sides. That's what's kind of fascinating about this is you could really try to argue on either side, nah, just hold on and see what happens. You could also see how both could benefit because the Nets don't lose Harden for nothing in the offseason after all of the things that they gave up to get him, which I'm not going to spend the time to list out again this segment. And you could certainly see that the Sixers might not want to disrupt what they have going in terms of chemistry and everything else, but they might have a real shot in this season, in this East, and they don't want to wait. I think Daryl Morey is the most interesting part of this entire thing because he knows what he's getting into. He knows exactly what he's Mm -hmm. doing when it comes like whether or not you love Daryl Morey, the GM, what you have to know is that he understands more about Harden than anybody. So he's been in the room with the player he'd be acquiring, and he's in the room with the players he'd be giving up. That's interesting to me. Next, we're going to get back to the Washington football team story with an expert that can give us a breakdown that you can only get here. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on a Friday on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. No picks this weekend, Fitz, so... uh Sports Tinder Thank making God. its triumphant return. I mean, good Can you Lord. believe it? Woo! Yeah, anything it's been to get so me out long. Of missing picks. My God, you just want to I mean, continue listen. the NBA tradition. I'll just mess them up every day. Fitz, I mean, we don't need to get into how wrong I've been the last two weeks of NFL. I'm not even going to mention oh it. We'll just remind everyone I was 6-0 in the wild card weekend. That's all that matters. We won't say anything <laughs> after that. Uh, speaking of basketball, tune in tomorrow for college basketball action as Kansas host Baylor. Coverage begins at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Joining us now, attorney Lisa Banks, who represents multiple former commander's employees, uh, she's going to talk about that congressional roundtable and the hashtag release the report. Lisa, thanks so much for the time. Sure, my pleasure. I want to start. We were just talking a couple of segments ago to Tisha Thompson from uh, ESPN, who's been covering the story from inside the courtroom. And there's this now kind of discussion of whether or not they can release the report, whether they've intentionally created somewhat of a legal loophole in order to uh, in order to avoid. There's a limbo if they both have to offer up consent. Is there any power from Congress or the government? enforcing their hand instead of them being able to kind of point fingers at each other and allege that the other is responsible for withholding? Sure. That, that, you know, that power is with the subpoena, you know, and Congress, the oversight committee has subpoena power. So notwithstanding any efforts and agreement by the Washington football team and the NFL to try to keep these findings from being made public, Congress can subpoena those documents and that information. So uh, that is expressly what Congress threatened to do at the end of its letter today. How likely is that and how long would that take? Well, I don't think it takes long at all. They can issue a subpoena pretty quickly. The question is, will the NFL comply with it? Uh, I think we can be pretty much assured that Dan Snyder's not going to comply with it, but whether Roger Goodell and the NFL comply with it is another matter. Lisa, you know, I I would love to hear your impression from working with these women, how they feel um, now having publicly shared their stories, having revisited and had to talk about um, the things that they went through only to be sort of wrongly held up as the reason the findings won't be made public, essentially meat shields for the NFL where they claim that they're protecting these women, even as they are physically wearing shirts that say release the report. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, one of the reasons they're wearing 
shirts that say release the report is to call out Roger Goodell for his lies. And one of the most cowardly lies and misstatements that he made was that the reason he couldn't release the report was because of the request for confidentiality by these women. And what we said at the time when he said that is, well, listen, we we want a report and you can easily put out a report and anonymize it in any way you need to redact names or whatever. Um, and so that's not a real reason. And I know that the clients that I represent, which at this point totals more than 40 people, they all want a report. Uh, they have always wanted a report and they have always expected a report when they participated in the investigation. So um, I think what we learned today is that Roger Goodell, I mean, it proved that he lied about why he couldn't release the report or wouldn't release the report. Uh, he entered into this agreement with Dan Snyder, whereby uh, neither party could release it without the agreement of the other. You mentioned earlier, Lisa, that uh, they could choose not to comply with the subpoena. What would be the next step if that happens? Well, if they don't comply with the subpoena, then Congress could threaten them with contempt. Um, it's sort of like contempt of court, but it would be contempt of Congress. And I think you're seeing that now with the, the January 6th committee where right. they've issued some subpoenas and people are resisting. Um, but it's not a small deal. And um, I think that um, if they issue a subpoena, then people are going to talk. And whether it's um, Roger Goodell or, or Dan Snyder or Beth Wilkinson, you know, they may or may not comply with the subpoena. But there are going to be other individuals who spoke to Beth Wilkinson that if subpoenaed to talk, will talk. And those are the people that have information that we haven't heard yet. And that's really important. So we're going to get at this one way or another. Attorney Lisa Banks, who represents multiple former employees of the Washington Commanders with us here on Spain and Fitz. Now, I come from a family of lawyers, so I'm embarrassed to ex uh, express my ignorance here. But is it naive to just say it feels unfair that a company could protect itself from accountability for countless years of sexual harassment and toxic workplace simply by the sort of loophole limbo that they're trying to pull off? Doesn't it feel like it shouldn't be possible for them to just protect each other by saying, hey, listen, if this gets out, there'll be a bad thing for both of us. So let's go ahead and pretend to care about whether you've done something and not actually do anything about it. Well, the, the interesting thing about this is that the, the common interest agreement is not an unusual mechanism. Uh, it's that in this situation where you have the NFL claiming to be independent, claiming to oversee this investigation, claiming that it's going to hold uh, the team accountable if that's warranted, at the same time joining forces with them, basically climbing into bed with the Washington football team and saying our interests are aligned here, was just utter fraud. Uh, on the women and men who came forward to participate in this investigation. And and is is that essentially the the problem with the NFL structure in general is that Roger Goodell really works for the owners so he doesn't really have the power to condemn or punish them unless it's um 
I guess, unless it's so egregious that it's it's almost required to. And is, is that the only thing that moves the needle here is public pressure because it has to be about saving face somehow by, by using Dan Snyder as an example of actually acting? Yeah, I mean, I think that's right, that Roger Goodell's fortunes are intertwined with the 32 owners of the NFL franchises. And so um, he's not independent. He, you know, he truly is not. And so, uh, you know, maybe it was a shame on all of us for believing that the NFL could possibly be independent and, and Roger Goodell specifically in looking into an owner of an organization. He has no problem calling out players and coaches and doing so publicly. But when it comes to owners, you know, he has his own interests uh, to consider. And so mm-hmm. what we learned today is that, um, you know, he, he put those interests above the interests of the, the hundreds of women who were harassed and abused over 20 years. Lisa, in talking earlier to our reporter, Tisha Thompson, she mentioned that as this roundtable is put together, some of the people on it, uh, they have to deal with the brand of the NFL, and that can be a powerful thing. How do you combat that? How to deal with the brand of the NFL? Uh, and and yeah, how, the it, influences the, how it, it influences it the people involved it. in this process. Yeah. Well, you know, I think what we have seen is is public sentiment is very, very much with the women who came forward and the women who testified. Uh, And we don't see a lot of supporters of Dan Snyder or the Washington football team or the Washington commanders. (laughs) Um, And and people are not defending him. They're not defending the team. They're not defending what happened. So sure. The NFL is extraordinarily popular, but what happened here is not, it is not getting the support of your run-of-the-mill fans. So um, we have received statements of support from hundreds and hundreds of people around the country who are football fans, diehard football fans, but understand that this is wrong and that this looks and smells like a big cover-up, which it is. Yeah, I think that's one of the most frustrating things, Lisa. And we're talking to Lisa Banks. She's an attorney for multiple former employees of the Washington Commanders. Um, who recently spoke to Congress and the House Oversight Committee. Um, What's so frustrating is he's done nothing but bring terrible attention to the team. The franchise's attendance has gone down. They aren't winning anything. He's gotten in in the way of the investigation and allegedly threatened and harassed potential uh, victims and their families uh, who are are intending to report and, and talk. Um, and there is absolutely no reason that the NFL should be so dedicated to defending him. And yet here we are. And there is no defense of him. And yet here we are. And I think that's why it's proving so much that the NFL system is broken because it is an indefensible person, an indefensible act. And yet the NFL still seems dead set on, on not holding him accountable. Uh, we appreciate what you're doing. I'm guessing that we'll have you back because we're not letting this story die. And uh, the stuff you're doing and the way you're representing these women is a re- really powerful part of it. So thanks for the time tonight. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you both. Attorney Lisa Banks. Follow her on social media as well uh, because she has been um, really – active in and calling out Roger Goodell, the NFL, and everybody involved in this for their complicity at Lisa Banks KMB. Um, she's also been uh, shouting out the incredible work of, of, of Liz Clark and others at the Washington Post who have been doing a great job on this. Uh, coming up, 
Sports. Tinder makes its incredible return. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. So, you know, lifting up a little bit of the curtain, uh, I do these shows from home. And I'm blasting music downstairs from my husband on the floor below me. And I'm like, what are you jamming to down there? And he said, Billy Squire. Oh, wow. He said, I got to get it out before your show's done. Because he knows I hate (laughs) Billy Squire. And as soon as I come downstairs, Billy Squire is going off. I'll never understand it, by the way. That is And there he is, Stosh, our producer Stosh, who loves Billy Squire. And in fact, I have on multiple occasions during my tenure on this show with Stosh's producer been rickrolled with Billy Squire. So Squire rolled coming out of break when Stosh commandeers things and tries to tries to absolutely crush my soul and my spirits with Stroke Me, which is just a terrible song on all accounts, not to mention a terrible name for a song. So I guess my husband, without knowing it, was giving a little shout out to Stosh on his final night as producer of Spain and Fitz. This is Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, and Stosh Sienke for the last three years or so. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. three plus. Three plus through several iterations of Spain and fill in the blank. Fitz and then company and then back to Fitz. And so we put together a little reminder of Stosh. How do I say goodbye to what we have? Stosh is the sort of friend and producer you dream of getting to work with. The kind of guy that will listen to you, will talk to you, also help you get better at what you do every single day. Working with Stosh has made me better, it's made the show better, and it's been a delight. That being said, he's a Chiefs fan, and all Chiefs fans. The Bengals Super Bowl chances rest on his right foot. The kick is up. Yeah. It yeah. is good. Oh. Coffin nails. Sucks. So now the good news is since we're not united anymore, we can finally be the mortal enemies the football gods intended. Stash, I love you, but you suck. The good time what is this for? For who? Oh, okay. Um, Steve has been like the best producer, and I. What? I'm really sorry, I forgot your name. Stash? Stosh. Stosh. It's not a real name. Okay. Stosh has been an incredible producer. I honestly don't know if I would be here without him. Yeah, I don't really know him, no. I'm just kidding, of course. Stosh has been an incredible producer to work with for the last however many years we've been paired up through various iterations of Spain and somebody. Um, and there are so many things I could say about him, uh, not the least of which is if you were in a, in a street fight, you would absolutely want Stosh on your side. The guy is one scary dude. He's bringing the size, he's bringing the muscle. And uh, as Jason Goff used to say, he's probably got a backpack full of something, a briefcase full of something. Don't ask, don't get involved. Stosh is a man of mystery. But beyond that, I think my favorite thing about Stosh is as a producer, he really cared about the topics we were into, the things we were passionate about, and he did his best to learn about them, to get the best guests possible, and to really reinforce and allow us to to shine and be ourselves. Um, And that is something that is so appreciated in this business. So we're going to miss you, Stosh. I'm looking forward to working with David. Devin. Devin. Okay, Devin, our next producer. Looking forward to it. Smell you later. Smell you later. later. It's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday.
So quick, we've already moved on. Is Devin in there now? Fitz? Uh, no, is no, Devin no. in there now? Devin's not in here now. Oh, Stash no, is no. still okay. Stash, no. Stash, no, still our guy. Still uh, it, our guy. Stash is is the stash. It's Stash, right? Stash. <laughs> stash. You were cracking me up. That was amazing. not a real name. <laughs> <laughs> David, Devin, what is it? I don't know. Da- David. Yeah. Oh, um, we love Stash. We've loved working with Stash. In fact, shortly before we got the call that Stash was being moved to a different show. Uh, we had a new, like, kind of nightly oversight person. Wow, just jump on a call, see how things are going, Sarah. I said, you know what? We're in a groove. As long as Stash, Fitz, and I are together, it doesn't really matter who's working the board, what other crew is on. We found our groove, and we're great. And then two days later, they were like, by the way, Stash is moving to a different show. Oh, you put that into into the ethos. That That's uh, that's all your fault. You, you never should have said that out loud. Into the ether? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's probably right. It feels right. You know, you put that into the insert word here at almost nine o'clock on a Friday. It wouldn't be our show if you you had to send Stosh off by misusing words and being confused. Nobody nobody gets close more often than this guy. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Stosh Uh, always gets you close, buddy. uh, That's right. Uh, Phrasing. Let's get to the thing that has uh, also been a regular part of the show with Stosh on Fridays when we haven't had picks, and that is. Sports Tinder. That's right. It's a Friday, and on Fridays we like to make bad decisions right along with you. We know you've probably already poured a couple fingers worth of alcohol. You're sitting down, swiping right, swiping left, making bad decisions. We're going to do that, too, with a couple stories. If we agree with what we say, we swipe right. If we really agree, we swipe up. Disagree, swipe left. And if we hate it, we slight swipe down so Fitz the Pro Bowl is back I don't know if anyone's aware of that there was a bunch of stuff going on last night I presume there's some stuff going on tonight and then there will be a Pro Bowl game and every year people complain they do full segments on how we can fix the Pro Bowl and should we have a Pro Bowl and yet every year the ratings for the Pro Bowl are better than plenty of other actual sporting events that mean something because it's still the NFL Fitz, should we stop complaining about the Pro Bowl? I'm going to swipe up. Super light. Yeah, and you just mentioned the ratings. There's a lot to the rating games, but I looked it up. Last year's Pro Bowl had about 8 million viewers. Last weekend's highest rated sporting event had 2 million. So, like, <laughs> let's start thinking about what we have. Like, when we don't have the NFL, non-NFL, we get about 2 million, and that's considered a home run. The NFL on a basically an exhibition, well, not basically, an exhibition goes out there and just crushes those numbers. So, more people like it than not. We need to just shut up. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and swipe right. Swipe right. It's not going to help to complain about it. It ain't going anywhere. To your point, as of a couple years ago, and I think that's still the case, the Pro Bowl gets better ratings than almost every single Major League Baseball game. Like, it's it, – and and not just regular, but playoff. Most of the NBA playoffs, most of the NHL playoffs, most playoff games in other sports are rated worse than the Pro Bowl in the yeah. NFL. The NFL is king. It ain't going anywhere, so stop complaining about it. You don't have to watch it, but stop complaining about it. All right, we talked about the Winter Olympics with Alyssa Ronick, and we failed to mention one major part of it that I just learned. Beijing is not a country that gets snow in the winter. All of the snow for the Winter Olympics is fake. It required gallons and gallons of chemically treated water put into ice machines and then put all over mountains. It's all fake. Fitz, does it take away some of the magic? I'm going to swipe right. Yeah, like, I'm a fraud, and even I feel bad about that. Like, it doesn't feel good when it's all fake snow. I'm, I'm swiping right on it. I've never even skied. I wish we had time swiping. to get into why you're a fraud, yeah, but yeah, we don't. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to swipe, swipe up. up. Super light. Yeah, it's just... 
It's so wild. I didn't even know when they were making their bid that that was all part of it. Everybody knew, hey, Beijing doesn't, Beijing, I should say, doesn't get snow. So everything you're watching is just a random hill that they've pumped a bunch of fake snow on. Yet they gave them the Winter Olympics. It's the Winter Olympics. Uh, Shout out to Stash. He's going to be a guest on Freddie and Fitzsimmons next for the full (laughs) show. Every segment. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.